In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Well, good morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. For hundreds of years in the medieval church, on this day, the third Sunday of Advent, these would be the words that you would hear on this day. The first words that you would hear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Except it would be in Latin. Gaudete in Domino Semper, Iterum Dico, Gaudete. You would find the clergy dressed up in pink vestments. Uh, Dean Nathan has put on a kind of a pink face mask for today. I'm sure pink vestments would make many clergy very happy. And um, we would see the altar decorated with a pink frontal, and there would be a pink candle in the Advent wreath. The idea was that there would be one Sunday in Advent where we could just lighten up a little bit, be a bit more festive, upbeat, because, you know, if you haven't noticed, Advent can be a pretty dreary season with lots of penitential readings and lots of opportunities for priests to scold you, which, you know, can be pretty fun for the clergy, but kind of a downer for everyone else. And if you think Advent is a little dreary now, you should have seen it before the ninth century when Advent was 40 days long, just like in Lent. They finally shortened it to just four weeks, but even so, it can be pretty dreary. So anyway, at some point, they decided to lighten it up by dressing in pink and commanding everyone to rejoice, whether they felt like it or not. So rejoice! Come on, let's see you rejoice! Well, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, really? Always rejoice? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but there are some things happening in the world right now that I'm not super happy about, right? Like the fact that we will soon lose as many people to the COVID virus as the died in World War II. That many thousands of lives would have been saved and still could be saved if our president and his followers would simply respect science. Meanwhile, that same president has left no stone unturned in his quest to deprive millions of Americans, Americans of color mostly, mind you, depriving them of their vote without a shred of evidence for what they claim. Let's just be clear about this. And in my opinion, every single preacher in America of every political party should be speaking out about this shameless attack on democracy by our own president. So no, I'm not super happy about a lot of things these days. But this is what I love about this crazy religion of ours. Whenever I really dig into the Bible, I'm always surprised by something I hadn't seen before. In this case, it's this. And let me get a little bit nerdy with you for a second here. The Latin word for rejoice is gaudete. The Greek word, though, which the New Testament is written in, is kairete, which shares its root with the same with the word Karas, which means grace. 
In other words, what we're talking, when, when we're talking about joy in the biblical sense, we're not talking about our mood. We're not talking about how we feel as we doom scroll through the New York Times or how grumpy we are when we haven't had our first cup of coffee in the morning. We're talking about a state of grace. We're talking about a kind of joy that arises from grace. We don't talk about that word grace very often these days, but we should because it's a huge part of what the gospel is trying to communicate. It's a word that's used to describe Jesus in John's gospel. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. It's the word used to describe Mary, hail Mary, full of grace. It's the word Paul uses to describe his experience of God. By the gift of grace, he says in Ephesians, we are rooted and grounded in love. We are given to the power to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. It's the word Paul uses to describe the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. It's what he says it feels like to be filled with the fullness of God. This grace, according to those who have experienced it, is not something we earn. It's not a badge of honor given out to heroes of the faith. No, first of all, it's a state of being given to all of us simply through the gift of being itself. We know it in our bones. We feel it like a dim memory sometimes of a golden state of unity. And once we've tasted it, we, it's all we ever want from God. Which is to say it's a kind of bliss, a bliss that arises when we become conscious of our connection to God and when we find the courage to trust that connection completely above all else. It's a kind of joy that wells up in us as we let go of our egos and our attachments and our constant striving over what we think we want. It's a kind of joy that emerges on the other side of ego's death. It's what happens when we finally allow the reality of God's love into our lives, come what may, trusting completely in God's love. And paradoxically, this is not a state of grace that we achieve, as all the great teachers across the major world religions remind us. It's not something we can just do through our own efforts. Nonetheless, it is available to all of us because of the deepest level of being itself. We are all already at one with God because we are at one with reality. And for that reason, there's nothing that stands between us and God's love. This is what Paul means by phrases like newness of life and being made alive in Christ. That's what we mean by rejoice. And it's paradoxical. I can't tell you how many times someone with a terminal illness has said to me, it sounds so weird to say this, but I'm actually grateful for this diagnosis. 
It's not because they want to die. It's certainly not because they enjoy debilitating pain or countless surgeries or the loss of dignity that goes with all of that. I would never, ever suggest to anyone who is suffering in any way to feel grateful about any of it. But nonetheless, this happens often with people. When they, sometimes for the first time in their lives, when they, when they finally let go of everything that they've been clinging to that keeps them separate, when they've given themselves away to the reality of God, for the first time in their lives, they become aware of the ground of love that is their ground. They become aware of the one who lives and moves and has her being in them. This is the state of grace that Jesus keeps pointing to us, pointing out to us again and again. It's why he keeps hanging out with people who have already lost everything, the people who have learned, usually the hard way, the gift of non-attachment, the disfigured lepers living on the margins of society, the poor, the oppressed, those who mourn. They have learned to fully trust in the grace of God. And now there's nothing that separates them. This is why we find such wisdom among our elders, because they're no longer tethered to that hamster wheel of success. They're finally free to ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I apart from my job, apart from my resume, my reputation, my standing, my accomplishments, my once youthful looks, apart from my health, my wealth, my pride, all of which are diminishing by the day? Who am I? And what they experience is, first of all, is real pain, real grief. And on the other side of that, blessing. Once we get to the other side of loss, and let's not be cute about it, it is, it is real loss. It is real grief and real tears. But once we get to the other side of loss, we begin to recognize what we are truly made of. We discover the treasure that does not rust or fade. Finally, we find that sacred, paradoxical capacity to rejoice in all things. This is what Christian samadhi looks like. This is the Christian version of awakening. Blessed are they, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. The Greek word for blessing here is makaritso. David Bentley Hart translates this not as blessed, but as blissful. How blissful are the destitute, abject in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of the heavens, because the original meaning of the word refers to divine or heavenly bliss. Jesus uses this word a lot, and in every case, the blessed or the blissful person he's talking about is either poor or hungry, or in mourning, or persecuted, or a slave. All examples of people who have broken through to the other side of loss. And Jesus uses that word to describe one other kind of person, the disciple who has finally perceived the central truth of his teaching. Blessed are the eyes of those who see, Jesus says. 
Blissful are those who hear the word and keep it. And so, my brothers and sisters and non-binary spiritual siblings, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And if this little sermon has, despite my best efforts, still failed to cheer you up, I'm sorry, and I feel you. At moments like this, all I can do is remind us of the words of that anonymous 14th century author of The Cloud of Unknowing. He says, there will be times when you'll think you've lost God. Your affections will feel cut off from, and here's that word again, grace. Your affections will feel cut off from grace. But don't get too upset. Don't let yourself be afraid. Even though you seem to have good reason, instead, trust our Lord with all your heart. Remember that God is never far from you. Soon God will search you out again and touch your soul more intensely than before, and you'll feel the warmth of God's compassion and contemplative grace. God will come, I promise. God will come very soon when the time is right, and when God comes, you will be set free. The cloud of unknowing. May it be so, Lord Jesus, come to us now into our broken, open hearts. Come to us even now, good Lord. Come in the darkness of this Advent winter. Come. Come and set us free. Amen.